He would please open to Matthew chapter 1 once more. Very thankful for the ladies, uh, particularly the ladies had a wonderful time yesterday morning, and thankful so much for the ladies who shared the, the aspect of Christ's manifestation and love for us uh, that's unique and showed up particularly in their lives and their situations that I know ministered uh, to everybody who was here. So thank you, ladies, for your love for the Lord and your love for one another. Well, we want to, uh, again, look at Jesus and the person of Jesus. Diane, if you would take me down just a tad my volume, uh, thank you, because that will give me a little freedom to raise my voice without, <laughs> without, without being nervous about it. Because uh, this, this is exciting to talk about. And in the midst of a, a year that has been out of the ordinary, uh, to the LSU Tigers football team who has been out of the ordinary and all of a sudden last night decides to show up when they shouldn't have won at all. It's out of the ordinary. Just one more thing out of the ordinary, on and on and on. Uh, but <clears throat> the Christmas story, we have to remind ourselves, was completely out of the ordinary. And as much as we rehearse it and we're reminded of it and we celebrate it, and appropriately so, back when Jesus was born, it was out of the ordinary. In every category. And particularly for our lives as we, as we live life. And I'll give you a little teaser. It's uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, the Lord just laid on my heart. Because uh, we'll continue with a weary world rejoices. But when Isaiah told uh, the people of God, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. It's the, the, the verse that God put in my heart to speak about on Christmas Eve, but that's us. And a lot of times we forget about the darkness until we have times like this that are out of the ordinary and we realize, man, life is hard. And it, and it doesn't seem to get easier when we want there to be light at the end of the tunnel. We can't seem to get there. That's when the light shines. It's into the darkness that light shines. And that's when we see it the brightest. And that's what Jesus' birth, what a, what a marvel that God would come near to us. Last week in looking at Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus' role as prophet, being a spokesman for God, but not just being one like the prophets who spoke to God for the people and spoke to the people for God. He was the very word of God, is the word of God. He is God's expression. He's God's word. And it's a powerful word at that, a word of power. But let's look again. More specifically, we looked at uh, greater context last week. But look at verse 21 of Matthew 1. This is again the, the, the vision that's given. Uh, the, given. given. It's like, what is that word? <laughs> it's given. Uh, the angel appears to Joseph. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here's where we'll hone in today. She, she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Lord, I ask that you would give us a renewed awe and wonder at what you have done 
to save us from our sins. We ask that the, the truth of Christ, the person of Christ, would penetrate deep inside the caverns of our heart that we act like you don't care about. But you want to touch everything. We ask that you would touch everything and give us faith to trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Quarantine. It's the word of the year, I think. Then along with social distance, that's a phrase, not a word. Uh, do you know, I, I teach Bible part-time to the senior class over at North Lake Christian School, and this week has been a, a, it's been a week. Every day, students are called to the office, and they know what's coming. They've been asked to quarantine because they've been exposed to another student who's tested positive for COVID. I think there were, by the end of the week, six seniors left out of around 70 because they all were needing to be quarantined. And it was met with dread from the students because the thought of being home for a couple of weeks and cut off from the life in the world was too much to bear. And we know what that's like. We dread separation, and we dread exclusion. We want to be with people. But it's a reminder that there is a separation spiritually in our lives that God requires. And here, here's why. Quarantine's not new. It's in the Bible. Go to the Old Testament. Go to the Old Testament law. The Old Testament ceremonial law and civil law, both of them, incorporated quarantine. There were requirements for someone to quarantine from people to be outside of the people. Many of that, the, the civil ones, had to deal with not infecting people with a disease. You were a leper, you needed to go outside the camp. You quarantined. You had different weird oozing things. If you were bald, you were unclean. It's true. Many uh, other, so they were just for the good of the nation. They needed to quarantine, so they didn't spread disease. But more particularly, what we'll think about today is that the other laws had to deal with cleansing oneself from uncleanness in order to show up at the temple to worship God. So you had to be cleansed, you had to be pure in God's sight to show up to church to experience His presence. Because they didn't want anything to be separated in that, showing up to the, first the tabernacle and then ultimately the temple. But here's the bottom line. God required a quarantine spiritually of all of us because sin has separated us from God. And God in his holiness and his perfection and, and his right response to sin says, you can't come near me. So God tells everyone born on this planet, you're quarantined from me, you are separated from me because of your sins. Now, the temple, this was drawn out in the Old Testament. We have the picture of that, that in order for a sinful people to be in the presence of a holy God, something, a mediator needed to be there. We looked at the prophet being a type of mediator with speaking to God, but a priest was a, a mediator in between a holy God and a sinful people by offering a sacrifice and, and conducting the sacrifices in the temple in order for God to not take out his wrath on his people but have a, an animal die in that person's place because of sin. It was a picture of uh, the, the wages of sin is death that we have in Romans chapter 3. We have, where's the 6? 
I get those confused. It's in, it's in Romans. But check this out. With, with the temple, the temple was the location and the one position of God's presence on the earth. Visits to the temple were required for the God's people to pray. God's people to praise him and, and to pay tithes that were there that were required. The crucial element of the temple was the altar of sacrifice. You could not go to the presence because the altar was first. And, and the way it was positioned as you walked up, you had to offer your sacrifice in order to experience the presence. But not everybody could go into the temple. It wasn't like church where we all come in and we sing and pray and hear the preached word. Well, we're remembering and celebrating the sacrifice that was made for us. But they had priests that were there. The priests ran the altar of sacrifice. So you would come, and you would, if you came from far off, you weren't able to bring a sacrifice with you. You could purchase that sacrifice around the temple. You could bring that. And the priests were more like butchers because they, they dealt with blood constantly. They had morning and evening sacrifices. And they would bring an animal, depending on what the law required of the sin that was committed. You brought those sins to God, or you brought the sacrifice for the sins to God, and the priest was the representative of God, and he would have that person lay his hands on the, the head of that animal as if to transfer the penalty of those sins to this animal, and the, the throat was slit. There were instructions of what to do with all the body parts, but, and what was to be burned, what wasn't to be burned, and you put that up on the altar, and it was taken by fire. There was a fire on the altar that was always lit. So we see pictures of the altar sacrifice. It was overlaid with gold when it was originally constructed. But you know what? It was crimson red all around. Because blood ran all over the thing. That's not, a, that's not a unique picture. I mean, the churches today don't figure out how can we put a gruesome uh, position thing right in front of everything. That's the first thing that people see. But yet even a cross that we celebrate was a gruesome, it's a gruesome picture. Because God shows that sin is grotesque. It is unnatural to us. It is not our image-bearing quality. It is something foreign to us that, that God wants to eradicate out of us, but yet we find this weird pleasure with, and we want, we want to entertain and coddle that gruesomeness rather than surrender it and be freed from it. So the priests worked the temple. They, they were the descendants of Levi from the the twelve sons of Jacob, Israel. They were, he was one, uh, he didn't get land. Levi wasn't given land when they entered the promised land because he was over the temple and, and all of his sons were to be keeping the temple. And the priest, after the sacrifice, the priest was the only one to go into the holy place in the temple. But beyond the holy place was called the holy of holies. And that's where God's presence dwelled. The Ark of the Covenant was in there. And a huge, thick curtain, this thick, was in front. And it had these ornate, uh, sewn... Getting confused with the details, I apologize. Ornate. God wanted it that way. But what that, what that big curtain was preventing somebody from entering was the pure, unadulterated glory of God that if anybody went into, 
without being properly cleansed ceremonially, they would die. Only one person, one time a year, went into the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. If you picked up that little theme uh, in the, the songs that we sang, there was a high priestly element that Jesus fulfilled with his life. Only that one priest, the high priest, would enter the Holy of Holies only one time a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, the temple requirements were a continual reminder that the people were separated from God because of their sin. Sin created an eternal barrier between God and his people. But God in his love, according to his plan, that the Bible tells us is from before the foundation of the world, sent his son to be the final priest to remove the separation to bring us to God. He would be the final priest to offer the final sacrifice. So we wouldn't have the same system. So if you wonder, why don't we have that today? It's because Jesus ended it all. He was the perfect priest. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he fulfilled it all so we could be with God. So when we see that this baby born will save his people from their sins, here's what we have to recall and remember. While we see a baby in a manger as, as cute it is, it should be, we have to remember immediately the ultimate reason that he was even put on this earth. And that was to die. Because to save his people from their sins meant the death, him laying down his own life and real, literal death in our place so we then could have his resurrected life. It's a big caption to help us. Jesus simply said, Jesus came to bring us to God. He was the ultimate sacrifice to remove the penalty of our sins so we could be in God's presence Forever. I like how we sang this morning, not contingent on how much we do for God or how well we do for God. He simply accepts us, and we'll draw that out in a minute. But let's, uh, just to give a background on the role of priests. The priest stood in the gap between a holy God and sinful people. Prophets spoke the words, the priests were the, were the mediators in reference to holiness. The priests were set apart, they were consecrated, they were made holy in order to keep the nation set apart and consecrated. For God to still be with his people, there needed to be sacrifices. There needed to be those who conducted those sacrifices and to remind the people of the purity. And so all of those laws that were to be followed to be ceremonially clean were for the purpose of reminding God's people he is a pure and holy God and he cannot be trifling with little bitty details of how we want to negotiate with God, thinking that what we're doing is okay, God should accept us and overlook this. God is completely pure. Hosea says, he is of pure eyes. He cannot even look upon evil. Cannot even look upon it. The priests were to conduct sacrifices to access God's mercy for his people. The sacrifices they assisted, uh, assisted the people to offer were a replication of the Passover that inaugurated the exodus of God's people. Remember, uh, they killed a lamb, they put the blood on the doorpost so the, the angel of death that would see the, the blood would pass over that house. Every sacrifice was a repli replication of that first sacrifice. So God's people would be spared. Remember, uh, 
They were worshiping the gods of Egypt too. We have those clues in Exodus that they, they were caught up, and that's why they wanted to go back to Egypt so much. Like this God thing, he's too mysterious, he's a little too powerful. Let's go back to something we can manage and we already know. Let's go back to those gods of Egypt. Because this God is a little too powerful, a little too pure for us. The priests were there so a sinful people could be around God's holy presence and not suffer the horrendous judgment of God against sin, which his character has to respond to. And the greatest day, that day of atonement at one time a year, the priest would have to go in and do sacrifices for himself so he would be cleansed and then walk in. And there was always a wonder in this uh, tradition. It's not a biblical mandate. It wasn't a biblical requirement. But there's a, a, a tradition that was passed down that some of the high priests had a rope attached to their ankle, tied around their ankle, so when they walked in, if they weren't pure enough and fell dead, that the guys could pull them out by their leg and not suffer their own death by going in to get the dead guy. God's presence is holy. And all they did in purifying themselves and standing in the gap for the purification of the people was done as a picture of the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. They conducted the prayers and the praise in the temple, and when you went to the altar, you went to the altar first and you gave your sacrifices, and then it was a reminder that God's anger and wrath is now temporarily, but it was appeased because someone, an innocent being, died in place of that sinful being, but now that sinful being could go and offer prayers and praise in the temple. It was the priest, the sacrifice, and then the result of that was prayers and praises. Now let's think about Jesus as the priest and the sacrifice. And this, this we're loaded now. You see that in your notes? Loaded with scripture because it's really important and God's convincing us from the scriptures. And, and I put a lot in there because maybe you've heard of those before and needed a reference point. Hopefully this can help you uh, in the future. Jesus was a greater priest than any of the Levitical priests that had come before because the, the descendants of Levi were sin-filled. They had sin on the inside of them. But Jesus, we're told, was from another priestly line. And we see uh, this alluded to in Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was both a priest and a king. We'll look at Jesus as king next week. But there's a mystery about Melchizedek because we don't know who his parents are. We're never told who his parents are. Just like that mystery of Jesus that he's not directly from the line of Joseph. He was adopted by Joseph, but he's married directly from the line of David. So was Joseph. But he's from the Holy Spirit. There's a mystery about that. And so he's from another line. And that Melchizedek image is not, oh, is he from Melchizedek? No, he's from the line of Judah. But it's a representation of the pre-incarnate Christ. That Abraham goes to Melchizedek and he honors this priest king of Salem. He, of peace. He was the priest king of peace. And Melchizedek ruled Jerusalem. That was the area that he ruled. And what does Abraham do in response? Gives him the tenth of everything. It's showing the response of God's people to Jesus. So Melchizedek is a type of Christ that we get to understand 
uh, his, his priestly role from. Now rather than have, uh, having to purify himself like a priest does, Jesus was pure by nature because he was God, but he was also pure. Because remember, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's how he sympathized with us. Jesus always obeyed, but he learned obedience. How does the God of all creation learn obedience? Because he's used to saying things and it's done. But he took the perspective of a man in order to understand the struggle and understand the, when God says. That's why I think he brought so much attention to the Father. In the, we have, in the Gospel of John, he's referencing his Father over and over and over again. Because I think he's showing learning obedience. And, and the key to obedience is one to remember who you are. Remember who your Father is. So you can walk in the good that he is for you. He was also set apart. Jesus was set apart as the sacrifice. That was required to save sinful people and preserve them in God's presence. See, the animals weren't adequate because it was not a one-for-one sacrifice. Animals are innocent based on their lack of humanity. Jesus was innocent due to his complete sinlessness, his complete perfection, one for one, man in place of man. So look, he, he would be the priest that offered, not just priest that offered the perfect sacrifice. What is he offering? He offers himself. He was born to die. He was also the perfect sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Hebrews 9, verse 26. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. John 10, Jesus says this, For for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He has authority over his life as being being God, and he lays his life down. Remember, he tells Pontius Pilate, he says, Don't you you know I have authority to set you free? (laughs) Jesus says, uh, you would have no authority if it was not given to you by my father. So who's really in charge right now? Who's the boss right now? Pilate, <laughs> Pilate who's your daddy? Come on, who's your daddy, Pilate? No, Jesus was not that way. But he had authority, and he lays his life down. Look at that. He, he died... So we live. He's the perfect sacrifice, and he died so we would live. He died to give us forgiveness from our sins. That was in verse 21 of Matthew 1. To bear a son, you call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's a, a connection to who Jesus is and the sins of his people. He died in their place so they would go free. They would be saved from the penalty of their sins. It was promised in Jeremiah. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. When he says, I will remember their sin no more, he says, I'm promising never to hold their sin out over their head against them. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives 
all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He forgives all of our sins, church. Every one of them. And even when we are, are so consumed by what we've done wrong for God to remind Him over and over and over again of what we've done wrong, that He shouldn't forgive us, He still responds to us and says, I forgive you. And I will not judge you. I will not hold this sin against you. Mark said in his prayer, we can't make this stuff up. God reveals it. And in Ephesians, Apostle Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, when there was a separation and a gap because of sin and a priest had to be in the middle, Jesus comes as the priest, as the perfect sacrifice, the one-for-all sacrifice to bring us to God. He closes the gap. There's no more separation for those who repent and trust Christ for salvation. He now, oh, he, he died to bring us to God. He closes the separation gap that sin created. Hebrews 6 19 and 20, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. He's saying, we now enter the Holy of Holies. No longer is it one person one time a year that, that we just imagine what it would be like. We have that sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Remember when Jesus died and we're told that the curtain... This thick was torn from top to bottom as a, a, a revelation that God, is top to bottom as if God's ripping it open and is saying, no longer will my holiness be held behind a curtain because of your sinfulness. This death of my son and his resurrection has now completed and fulfilled and ended the wrath towards sin. So God says, now my presence goes out into my people. It's not something that people have to come to. It goes out into my people. We know that through the presence of the Spirit in us. Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And now, what is Jesus' role? Jesus' role is to keep us secure in his presence. And he does that through his intercession. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What's he doing? He's literally praying. And he's praying. He's, his prayers are part of what secures us to his presence forever, even though we're bumbling idiots who keep on sinning. He reminds the Father of not that the Father needs to be reminded, but God, like when we remember what Jesus has done for us, it provides a, it ignites a gratitude, it ignites a passion and, and a, a humility about what He's done. God loves to be reminded because it's a it's a good experience. He's not man again. And Jesus, and Jesus is saying, "Look, Dad, really, it's okay. Remember, died for him, her. It's all right." And He says, "Okay, another try." No, that's how we picture it. But as Jesus says, I know, remember? Before the foundation of the world, we chose her. Paul says, that's right. And what glory it is to be with her, him, 
It's a joyful experience in that remembrance. But that is part of what secures us in his presence for all eternity. We are in God's presence based on the work of Jesus. That's not, we don't match his work and we don't try to figure out how to match his work. We don't act like Jesus was just a good example for us now that we need to manage our own salvation and by, by our own good works. We access it all by faith. So that we are saved by works, but not our works. We're saved by Jesus' work. And we trust him. We put, ourselves, we put our, our surrender in it. We put our complete trust in it. And what's our result? We praise him. We praise him for his sacrifice. So Jesus, as the priest and sacrifice, he ends it all. We trust him, and then what becomes of us? We are priests now ourselves. Not in terms of offering sacrifices, but in terms of our presence and connection and access to God's presence forever. There's a, a caption, uh, priesthood of believers. It's a, a doctrine to describe our acceptance and access to God through Christ. But we have in 1 Peter 2.9, but who we are because of Christ, you are a chosen race, a, a race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, this concept of the priesthood of believers, the doctrine, came about after the Reformation because it was to clarify centuries of tradition in the church that still held that pastors, priests, had a better access and a, uh, by God's design, a more access to God than everybody else. And so you had to go now still through a priest in order to get to God. Taking those Old Testament figures and carrying them on into the New Testament, so that's why priests were the only ones to forgive sins. That's why priests offered the sacrifice uh, at Mass, and everybody had to take Jesus, over, had to take the sacrifice over and over and over again. So the reformers came along and said, no, we all have access. We don't have to go through a priest for that. We all have the presence of God in us by the Spirit. Ephesians 2. Here's, here's our, our biblical, a few uh, scriptures on our, the, this biblical basis that we have. Even when we, were, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We are seated with Christ. So everything that Jesus is and everything that he has is ours. Just simply, it's amazing grace. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We get to go into the Holy of Holies, church. We get to go in and remain. We get to go in and not fear death. We get to go in and sit with God and enjoy Him forever based on what Jesus did for us. 
That's a demonstration and expression of God's love for us. We're not overcoming some reluctance in God. Jesus isn't trying to uh, uh, placate um, um, just a mean, bad God of the Old Testament to make him like everybody again. No, everything that we see in Christ is God. Because he is the, the exact imprint of his nature. We have acceptance to God through Christ that will never one of my, my favorite songs, favorite worship songs, that we, is what we sang earlier, Before the Throne of God. And, and really in that first verse, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Even the devil himself, who wants to tempt me to think that I don't belong there. No one can tell me I don't belong with God, because I have trusted Jesus as my Savior. I have not trusted in myself and my own performance for the Lord. I have trusted in Christ. Therefore, we're there. We're there with him. I think the greatest tactic of Satan is to unsettle our sure foundation with God that we have through Christ. He wants to unsettle us, and he does it through our access and our acceptance. Are you really accepted? Do you really have the access that you promised? Because I think God is far off and he's in another place in the universe and is not paying attention to anything you're doing because you're so sinful. Greatest tactic. He's tempting us to doubt our acceptance, to doubt our access because of our imperfect performance. Are we going to be imperfect? Absolutely. Are we going to continue doing dumb things? Yes. Sadly, yes. We don't want to. But we know even before we sin, we have forgiveness. And, and no matter how miserable of a life that we live, we will not undo God's perfect sacrifice for our sins. Because we weren't good enough to earn that sacrifice. Like, God waiting for us. Have you done? 101. Okay, good. It's over 100 now. Here's Jesus' sacrifices for you. He offers them to everybody. He offers them to those who would say, God, I repent of my sins. I trust you for salvation. We have access. We have unhindered everlasting access to God. Here's my encouragement, church. My challenge is this. Use that access. Use it. Hebrews 4, 6. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. How do we use our access? We go to Him to find mercy and grace in our time of need. When is our time of need? Uh, every second that we're alive. So therefore, we should be going all the time, living in his presence. Jeremiah 29, these two verses follow. I know the plans that I have for you, the popular one. Jeremiah 29, 11, that everybody knows. Here, listen to this promise. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Not as if we have some magic secret decoder ring or that, remember that, that red uh, plastic thing that you put on something and we're able to read it? God's not playing a game with us. He's standing there with open arms. He's saying, come experience my presence forever. We will be found by him. And what do we do with our access? One, we find mercy and grace in our time of need and we also pray. We have access before the God of all creation to pray. And, and uh, I, I could easily turn into do another sermon on praying with this access. But 
We pray. Jesus told us that. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. We also pray in that presence. But I would like us to think about a mode of our priestliness in standing in the gap. I think there's a, a mode where we can stand in the gap for our unsaved, our unbelieving friends and family. And God, we're in the gap. Remember Ezekiel 22, God says, I look for someone to stand in the gap and there's no one. It was a condemnation. It was an indictment to the priests. They weren't there to help the people. But we have access. And so, and it's not, uh, I think we, we recoil from doing this because we're afraid of being proud. But we need to ask people, what can I be praying for you about? Unbelievers, what can I be praying for you about? Because we know from Isaiah 59, God's not answering their praise because, uh, prayers because of the separation. But he's answering our prayers. So when you see on social media somebody puts out a prayer request and you know there's unbelievers putting praying hands or saying praying now, I grieve over that because I know God's not answering those prayers. Because they, don't, they, they haven't prayed the one prayer that's their greatest need. And that's to be forgiven of their sins and to repent and trust Christ for salvation. But church, we get to pray those prayers. And we get to be picture of Christ for them, that they too might have, have God invade and interrupt the course of misery that they're walking in, the darkness and the loss that they're walking in, to, to bring his comfort and love and peace. You know, somebody uh, who you're interacting with might say to you, will you please pray for me? Understand what's happening. If somebody's seeing, I've had people, and I've said this before. I, I usually don't tell people what I do for a living when they ask because it shuts them up. Because they think, oh, you must be, you're a perfect person and you're closer to God, so I cannot even interact with you right now. Nope, I got my issues. I got my proud heart still battling. I got that. I'm selfish as everybody else. But we, 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 we want to be those people that co-workers and neighbors are saying, will you please pray for me? We jump on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Be bold enough to pray with him in that moment. Let's, let's be that to the culture and the people that we're around. Remember years ago, I had a birthday dinner for my aunt. Uh, my dad asked me to pray before the meal. And I prayed one of the just easiest thank you for this meal thank you for the influence my aunt my life thank you for family 30 seconds Jesus name amen and they went like this that was the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard Jesus thank you for our food it was like right above that in my estimation but I, I've learned from that wow so now, now I get to be the pastor, so I get to pray all the time. I'm good with that, because now when everybody's somebody, I'm praying the gospel all the time. Jesus, thank you for dying our death and taking our penalty so we can trust you. I pray we would trust you more. And I'm hopeful God will use that prayer every single time to save my loved ones. Save the ones I care so much about that I know 
they die today, they will spend eternity apart from God's loving, wonderful presence. So, draw near to God who came to us. We want to draw near to him because he came near to us. We have promises, James 4, 8, Hebrews 11, 6. I'll read Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. To please God, we go to him in prayer. When Jesus said, believe that you receive this already. Believe that God rewards those who seek him. And we will be, we'll be a, a spiritual force to reckon with. I think that's what God's calling us toward. To affect the world that we are in. By recognizing the greatness and the glory of Jesus. And being that glory. Not in a proud, bombastic way. But that subtle baby in a manger way. That it gets to be power when God uses it. When the time is right. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, what, I just, I thank you how, man, I'm just thankful that you saved us. So thankful. Thankful that you saved me. It's a boy. I'm just so thankful. I pray that as we as we recount your goodness toward us and your faithfulness, you're proving yourself over and over and over in our lives. God, I pray that you would enhance our experience of your presence by looking to the sacrifice of Jesus as satisfying everything. I pray that we would be experiencing your presence in ways that would be noticeable to those around us, believer and unbeliever, so it draws attention to you. And I pray that we would be bold even in this Christmas season to ask folks, how can I be praying for you? Lord, save many this Christmas season. Save many. And I pray that we would be able to rejoice in those salvations. Bring them here, God, please. So we can love on them and show them Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that in the moment of your misery on the cross you didn't end it but you went through with it to secure our place with you it's amazing it's amazing we're very grateful